This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to On The Bench. I am your host for this episode, Brendan Sinone. We're recording live on YouTube. If you're listening to us on the podcast feed afterwards, thank you to you. I think it's both audiences now. Joining me for this episode, Chris Nee and Zach Blostein. It's a full bench. Gentlemen, uh, we are creeping closer and closer to football season starting. FSU just had its first scrimmage of preseason camp. That'll be the starting point of this podcast, but we'll also be talking about recruiting pretty in-depth. Playing some Byers and Own, sponsored by the, the Turner, Turner Group. Oh, you guys got it. Look at that. We're in midseason form already. Uh, and maybe talk a little bit about ACC uh, expansion or not expansion and FSUs and all the conference realignment and August 15th and all that good stuff. So uh, that'll be at the end of the podcast. But first, a shout out to our sponsor, Chattanooga Whiskey. We raved and absolutely gushed over the uh, the cast strength weeder, weeded bourbon. Uh, that Chris and I were able to enjoy with Dane as well. Dane got sloppy. He was dropping whiskey all over the hotel room. It was a problem. Uh, enjoy it responsibly, but just know uh, there's a little bit of extra oomph to that cast strength weeder that they put out. Uh, it's at Market Squared Liquors, and um, it goes down smooth for 119 proof, but it's still 119 proof. So shout out Chattanooga Whiskey. Amazing job on the craft distillery, uh, craft distillery scene. Excuse me. Uh, we're very thankful to have them as our sponsor. Uh, obviously, the Turner Group uh, will play Byers and later and give them their uh, formal introduction. Uh, but speaking of formal introduction, Zach, we got another podcast sponsor to bring to the table. Uh, one that you and I are specifically very excited about because we get to nerd out as we talk about it. And uh, yeah. There we go. yeah, I'm super excited about this. Um, you know, if you guys are into video games, um, if you guys played a game like NCAA 14 uh, on, you know, whatever console, I mean, this is this is going to be right up your alley. So um, on Steam, uh, it's a, you know application where you can buy um, video games. There's a college football video game called Football Coach College Dynasty. With a 95% positive rating on Steam, Football Coach College Dynasty is the ultimate college football management game for PC. Be a coach and create game plans, call plays, recruit players, develop your team, and compete for national championships, featuring everything you love about college football, including conference realignment, school boosters, official visits for recruits, the transfer portal, and even NIL. Um, football Coach College Dynasty is available on Steam for $11.99. I'm just super excited about this personally, um, and I know, Brennan, you're going to get into this as well, but you know, downloaded this game last week. No, no intention of, of a sponsorship or anything. Just genuinely interested. Literally addicted to this game. Um, it is so fun. Everything that you love about like that NCAA 14 kind of recruiting um, in, in that dynasty mode, this has everything in that plus everything cool. up to date, right? Yeah, like, more, plus more. more. Like the NIL portion is some of the f- most fun that I've had um, playing this game. You can kind of divvy how much NIL money you want to uh, pay your recruits to come to your school. Um, they have conference realignment built into the game. There's just so much to explore. Uh, as you see right there on the screen for the for our live viewers, um, you get some of the kind of the gameplay displayed to you there. I, I mean, I'm just I'm a huge fan of this game personally, and and when the the opportunity presented itself to to you know for them to sponsor us, I mean. I can't think of a more perfect fit. Uh, I really urge you guys to try this game. Um, It's in early access right now, so that's why the deal for $11.99 seems so great. I I mean, you're getting so much. I've literally put hours and hours into this game um, to the point where, 
you know, I, I got to make sure I'm, I'm on my stuff with, with work because uh, it's just that much fun. Um, Brendan, what, what are your thoughts been uh, playing this so far? Uh, it is addicting. Uh, you mentioned hours into the game. I fired it up. So we heard about it a week ago from one of our buddies on the FSU beat. I told you about it, Zach. You got into it before I did with, with camp season going. I had to wait for a little bit of downtime. Got into it, uh, I think it was Friday night. And, yeah, after coming back from Jacksonville, and my wife and I were, were just watching TV on the couch. I said, you know what, I'm going to play this game for a little bit. And, like, three hours later, I was I was deep into my first season. So I love NCAA 14. I love the Dynasty mode specifically. That's pretty much the only video game I play. And uh, and this does more than scratch that itch. It takes that uh, – the team building exercise and it just, it goes so in depth with it. Uh, it's a ton of fun. I uh, can't believe a game like this actually exists. I know. And right. Like it's, it, it's so cool. And, and, and it feels kind of under the radar, which is kind of cool to like know about a game like that, that really isn't super publicized. And I'm hoping that through this sponsorship, we're able to kind of spread it out to the public more. Cause I think, I mean, once, once you guys see this game, you're going to be in awe at, you know, what, what you can accomplish and what you can do. Um, I, like I said before, like the NIL portion is one of the most fun things to me because right now my strategy is I'm not spending a lot of NIL on high school recruits. I'm spending it in the transfer portal because that's a, that's Oh, okay. A, Battles. Yeah. In. Let's go. That's a, that's a thing you can, uh, you can do after the season in this game is you can go searching in the portal. And to me, that's what my NIL money is most worth. Um, you know, spending towards. So you really, that. really urge you guys to try out this game. Once again, it's called Football Coach College Dynasty. It's only available on PC right now. Um, and it's available on the Steam app. And um, they have plans to release it on Mac in the future. Uh, but but not, it's not available on that platform right now. So once again, on Steam, and uh, you can access it uh, on that application. Yeah, only twelve dollars support support us and support the show. Uh, Zach, do you plan on the board to put for people that maybe haven't heard the pod or heard it and didn't know how to find it some uh, directional? One hundred percent. Wanted to announce it here first for our live viewers, obviously our podcast listeners. All the information about the game will be on the board um, shortly after we finish this pod. Sweet. All right, yeah, well, we're going to keep playing it. Have, what teams have you been so far? I'm, I'm team in Orlando that's wearing garnet or garnet and gold, black and gold. Yeah. Uh, and there, oh, another thing I need to mention about the game. So if you um, if you look up the game on Steam, there will be a link to their Discord um, channel, and you're able to go in there and kind of download files, like, to replicate all the teams. Because obviously there's, like, you know, licensing and stuff for all these teams. So they have to, like, make close replicas in the original game version. But some of the the players of this game have created versions to where you can download. It's like a two step process, like five seconds, and upload it to your game to where it shows like all the you know um, up to date teams. So I'm playing. My first season was with Florida State. I'm like, this is a little bit too easy. I had like 17 million dollars in nil money to work with. So I'm like, I need more of a challenge. So now I'm playing at Tulane, and they have a prestige system. So I think FSU is like an eight or nine prestige out of like ten, and Tulane's a one. Um, so now I have three million NIL uh, dollars to work with, and that's been more of a challenge, obviously, to recruit high-level players. Um, but man, it's been so fun. Chris, can you tell that Zach's nerding out and enjoying himself playing this game? <laughs> oh, to be it's young good. and not have two children. <laughs> oh, like you haven't played video games anytime soon. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. All right, let's get into it. So FSU were recording this on Monday evening. They had their first scrimmage, first of two scrimmages in preseason camp. I've gotten through this entire podcast so far, all 10 minutes of it without saying spring camp, but I will screw up eventually, especially that I put it out there in the universe. Um, and so they had it on Sunday evening. Chris, let's talk a little bit about it. We had some some scoop at Noel 24-7 uh, shortly after the scrimmage, after making some calls, uh, and then the coaches were able to speak about it. Mike Norvell and the, and the coordinators all went in depth about the performance from the evening. Because what was your grand takeaway after his listening, hearing from the coaches? I think they're confident in the team they have, both sides of the ball. Uh, they were a little disappointed, especially Adam Fuller, that there were not takeaways on the evening. That's something that's been a point of focus, always is. But in general, I think they're really happy with what they're getting out of pretty much every unit on the field. Uh, we know Jordan Travis didn't do a ton in the scrimmage, which isn't unusual. He's a known commodity, so they were trying to give other guys more opportunities 
also setting some guys live. It sounded like Brock Glenn kind of stepped up to the moment. They like that running back room, what they're getting from multiple guys in there. We've talked about Keziah Holmes and how he's been a guy in the preseason who has taken a step, been impressive to us that we've liked a lot. Receiver, pass catchers, it always kind of starts with a conversation of Keon Coleman, you know, new toy, super fun to watch, doing some special things. Jaheim Bell had one of the bigger plays of the entire scrimmage. He got compliments from each side of the ball with regards to what he did on the evening. You know, we talked to Alex Atkins about the O-line. It's starting to come together a little bit. They're still mixing and matching. They're not in a rush to figure out their five. It's more about figuring out eight to ten that they're going to rely upon. Defensive line, uh, some of the reserves got a little bit more at bats just for reasons why they would do such a thing in a first scrimmage with some of the veterans getting a little less opportunity and guys like a Byron Turner having a chance. Byron Turner stepped up and had a good evening. Uh, secondary, you know, we continue to hear good things about those young DBs. They impressed a heck of a lot in Jacksonville on Thursday and Friday. That carried over to Sunday. Through nine practices, when we asked the coaches, position coaches, coordinators about individual positions pretty consistently, I feel like the theme is that we feel really good about what we have up front in the sense of first and second team type options. And right now it's about figuring out those depth and developing guys, you know, defensive end you're talking about byron turner he's viewed as like their fourth guy at that spot Jaden jones got mentioned didn't have a great scrimmage kind of beat himself up over it but they were really happy he got out there because that's a guy who had come back from being injured so i felt like that was kind of the theme of the evening where they feel really good about what they're going to roll out there as a primary type guys and then they're also figuring out what's going to be next you know what's third team linebackers for example stuff like that those are some of the bigger questions of the preseason I think it speaks to being a pretty good ball club when that's your biggest questions. Uh, Zach, you're obviously in digesting this from afar, uh, but but so you're kind of getting it all in live time. So, like, what what are you taking away from the reports, from hearing from the coaches? Uh, kind of the macro view, I guess, that maybe has surprised you, or something that's been revealing from the scrimmage and even from Jacks for the last few days. Like, what are you learning that's new that's kind of piqued your curiosity? I think the biggest takeaway for me um, is that the position that I had the most concern about going into fall camp, and that's safety. Um, I think the young safety talent showing out in both Jacksonville and in the scrimmage has me encouraged about that position group and the um, reliability of the depth in that group. I think that was, like I mentioned many times on here and like we've talked about, I think that's the position that's easy to point to and be like, hey, like that that could be a weakness when, when you dig into the depth because it's a lot of unproven guys, um, you know, a lot of newcomers. But reading your guys' practice reports, um, hearing about the coaches' comments over the past week or so, I'm encouraged. Um, Conrad Hussey's been a guy that, that really stood out in Jacksonville. Again, multiple takeaways on one day. Um, and then Ashlyn Barker being another standout from from the from the, the the two days in Duval, as well as in the scrimmage. I I think I think that's really encouraging. Um, it's something that I was looking to kind of hear throughout fall camp um, via your guys's reports, and to now hear it midway through. As long as it continues to progress that way, I mean, the, you look at FSU's defense and their entire team. There aren't a lot of weak points. Um, you know, you you can still point to that that depth not being, you know, fully tested and battle tested in the real game experience. But for them to show out um, consistently for multiple days now, I feel a lot better um, personally, and that's something that really stood out to me. I want to get Brendan going with four simple words: Keon Coleman, punt returner. That was gonna be one. Of, so I have like four or five takeaways that like okay, things that we can start advancing on storyline wise, right? And that uh, from the scrimmage, and that's one of them. Uh, Keon Coleman punt return. Is he wearing number four, Chris? As well. Yeah. Oh, so it's appropriate. Four four words for number four. Um, I was so so like we're not gonna talk about depth chart stuff and like go in depth of like where certain guys are lining up. And I always feel like special teams. Like we're talking about. It gets into all of that when you start talking about who's returning punts, but like for when they have the open periods and you can see video or photographs of guys returning punts, sometimes Keon Coleman was there. And this is going into the first like week of camp. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. You don't really see a whole lot of six foot four, 215 pound, well, wide receivers to begin with, but certainly not punt returners. 
uh, that, that's kind of an oddity. Sometimes maybe kickoff returner, but, but not punt returner. It's more of a small shifty position group, right? And so I wasn't sure how I felt about it. But I did know I didn't feel great about the punt return prospects those first few days of camp that I was out there. A lot of a lot of balls hitting the ground, kid show. And it made me uncomfortable. And that was carrying over from the spring. Um, and so as we're watching practice the last few days, I'll give Dane and Chris a lot of credit where they're like, there's something there with Keon Coleman. And I was like, I just don't love the idea of a big dude back there, especially a valuable like, number one wide receiver for you potentially being that guy. If he's there sometimes, sure. But I don't know if I love him being the baseline punt returner. I started warming up to the idea in Jacksonville as I saw how confident he was like catching the ball, how cleanly he was catching it, fielding it, uh, just seemed very natural doing it. Then I started getting obsessed with the idea of like, oh, he's six foot four, and he just catches the ball and falls forward. That's like halfway there to having a decent return. So I started liking it. Um, as it turns out, it sounds like he got a majority of the punt return snaps in the scrimmage. And when talking about the punt return game, uh, both Mike Norvell and John Papuchis, the first player they mentioned was Keon Coleman. That necessarily mean he's going to be the first guy, but they did speak, I would say, this fair to say, Chris, the most glowingly about Keon in, in that way, at least the most confidently. Yeah, it's a great deal of intrigue, but I, I thought John Papuchis summed it up very well when he talked about how he takes good tracks and catches it well and he does it with confidence. And that's something that you desperately need at that position. I will notice that Zach's like a young animal 2005. Is that kind of a I mean Chris is old? Is that what we're I that's am. what I'm rooting for? You're not old, Chris. Are you 40 yet? I'm old. Yes, I'm 40. Uh, well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. When, when can we start calling you the godfather? I'm going to make an offer. That's your kind of feel. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> Hopefully, I'm blinking enough for people on this live show here. Dude, I uh, was so- worried for a second. It was like a minute. <laughs> I start I, sometimes when I'm not paying attention, I just keep track and I'm like, how does he do it? Uh, um, one other name, okay. and what? I don't know if you're going to talk about this, Brendan, Braden Fisk. Yeah, um, we've you hyped, know we've hyped did him you plenty, but story on him? You I can... did, I did. Um, so Fisk gave us great quotes. I think it was Monday. Yeah, it was Monday of this past week, and I I meant to write off of it, but then I realized I had practice every damn day, and I got lazy with regards to actually writing it. But then Adam Fuller yesterday just went full Northeastern guy who never says anything nice the first time out the door, gushing about Braden Fisk from the word go. So I went ahead and wrote it. But uh, Fisk has been unbelievably good. Fisk is a massive impact player for FSU up front. And the nicest thing about Fisk is that the talent's exceptional, but it's also a matter of like he just – he wants to be great. It's kind of Keon Coleman's got that quality too. Like there is a desire from some of those guys that you can tell in practice. Every rep matters to them. If they screw up, they want the information of why did I screw up? How am I better? And they want to get better every every rep they take. And it's really really fun to watch guys who are exceptionally talented and experienced college football players that have that desire to be something even more. And we've seen that with Keon Coleman. We've seen that with Braden Fisk and. You know, when you're injecting that into a pretty talented lineup already, it, it's exciting. But I thought Adam Fuller, you know, a man who's never quick to be ultra complimentary of anybody, he'll give people their flowers, but he makes them earn them. He was very quick to get there with Fisk. And I thought that just stood out to me. It, he, he did gush over him. And that, that is not typical for Adam Fuller. But as we think about like what's advancing storylines, like that was an important piece of it. But like we've all fallen in love with Braden Fisk. Like it's mm-hmm. hard not to. You watch him play. I think that was the coolest thing about what Adam Fuller said, Chris, was at the end of his 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 gushing, he said he was excited for the FSU fans to watch Braden Fisk play. And I feel very similarly about that, you know? Like I, I he is like there's gonna be some like stereotypes and tropes, like high motor, high energy guy, because he's a white defensive tackle. Like, like, but but he does play with a crazy amount of energy. And athleticism. And I think that combination of him playing like his hair is on fire, uh, having a legitimately really high motor is going to be contagious for other guys on the defensive line. But you watch him turn a corner, you watch him bend at 300 pounds. Like, yeah, like he's especially pass rush situations, he's going to be monstrous because you can line him up in various places, find a matchup that you want to uh, expose, and just go after it over and over and over again. Um, But again, like that. Hearing that he did well when, when he performed in the scrimmage, like or that coaches liked him, like that wasn't a huge development for me, just because like, yes, like, you're there for one or two practices and and you see it. 
hearing about someone like Byron Turner dominating with his chances. And, and my understanding is like he was, as the practice went on, just got better and better and more and more disruptive. Like that's a big development. He got a bunch of at bats and made the most of it. And like, that is a, uh, that's pleasant because you need him to become part of the mix with Braden Fisk, with Jared verse, uh, with Patrick Payton as pass rushers, him and Gilbert Edmund doing that. That's a big step forward. Um, the other like few takeaways that I thought were important in advancing, like in learning from uh, what we, what we can glean from, from this team, Chris, we've liked Brocklin and what we've seen of him. Um, quick trigger is the way you describe him a lot. Cause he gets rid of the ball quickly. His very first pass apparently was a touchdown talking to people. Like he, he, he came right out and threw a touchdown, just made the right read, got rid of the ball quickly over the top and got to a tight end score. Um, he didn't always have his best moment, like, like great moments, but he, uh, continue to perform well. And I think in, in talking to people, like he leaves the scrimmages, like Tate Rodemaker did well. Um, Brooklyn's not super far behind him in operating the offense. And like, that's encouraging. I think that's another step forward. Um, what else? Oh, uh, on Adam Fuller's comments, you kind of touched on this, Chris, but this is one other thing that I thought was important. Um, he talked about them kind of sorting things out with depth this point into the preseason. And normally you get about 10 practices in uh, and you're maybe kind of figuring out like a few things here or there, uh, especially as you get into the depth, like in a scrimmage, when you get to like the end of the scrimmage and the third team's practicing a lot more. Uh, but now the, the third team's in there and they're like still trying to figure out like, can a few of these guys help us this season? Um, so I think that points to where the, the roster talent has has gone and that's the case on both sides of the ball uh, where you have guys on uh, both sides of the trenches linebackers specifically uh, Adam mentioned but like in general this team is still trying to figure out some things with with back-end depth rather than knowing exactly like who can and who can't help and I think that's another pleasant development uh, last thing Jaheim Bell sounds like he's a badass on Sunday yeah. he was good in Jacksonville you let Adam Fuller know he broke a few tackles that was Adam a good Gallo, development. Adam got humor out of that. Yeah. Him being able to talk crap to the defensive coordinator was another nice little note there of like, oh, okay. Like there's there's some chirping and some alpha dogism going on in this roster. Like, okay. And, so, he, and, he, and do you know real quick, Chris, before you go there, uh, who among all tight ends national last year had the most broken tackles? I'm going to go with Jaheim Bell because you're asking me this question. Yes. Jaheim what was Bell. number 39? 39 for him. The next closest was Brock Bowers at 30 and Sam Laporta, who was a 34th overall pick. So just on the fringe of being a first round pick, uh, he had 30 as well. So nine more, like that's a lot when you're talking about, like that's that's a significant amount more. Well, Bowers does a good job running away from people too. Don't have to uh, break as many tackles when you're running away from when you're, when you're running away from everyone. But yeah, so that's like another, like that's another kind of like similar, I put it in the Brock Lund category where it's confirmation of like, we think he's good at this or we think this is going in this direction and it presents itself in a live atmosphere. So like thumbs up, that works. Uh, sorry, we're going to say Chris FSU took today off Monday off. They get back to practice Tuesday. They practice Tuesday to Saturday. They have a scrimmage on Sunday. What do you want to see from this week, Brendan? The, the practice, this is basically going to be 10 to what? 15, 16 is the stretch we're in. It's kind of smack dab in the middle of the preseason. It's when the depth chart probably does truly start sorting yeah. itself out. What is it that you want to see from this team when we're talking about next week's scrimmage? It's moving week because of the depth chart, what's going to happen. I think you look at the trenches, especially the offensive line. I think this is where you start to finalize. You you mentioned it well, Chris. Like It's not just about the top five. It's the top eight to ten that they're trying to figure out. But you got to get the final five in there, and you got to get a little bit of continuity. And Alex Atkins said yesterday, or on Sunday evening rather, um, depending on when you're listening to this, that you want to have at least a couple of weeks with that main unit intact. So this is kind of that final week of figuring out where you place different players. He mentioned some guys kind of coming back from injury that they'll be able to test out a little bit more this week as well. Uh, we won't be able to report on that, but like for context and for us to know like what's happening moving forward, like that's going to be interesting to see, I guess, what they think their their final five could look like. So we kind of start seeing that get thinned out a little bit um, I, I think like the, the other thing that excites, excites me and that I'm intrigued by Chris is just like, 
the continuation of the young defensive backs and was the last three or four practice stretch for real or not, right? Like, what was that something that's sustainable? Who keeps, like, kicking and keeps showing that they are being consistent? Who maybe starts having those ups and downs that you can expect to hit, like, a freshman wall? And that probably starts depicting, like, what the two deep is going to look like. Because at least one of those true freshmen is going to be in the two deep when the when it comes out yeah. uh, officially. Like, that's just math, guys. Like, there's three veteran defensive backs. Or Barker, who's a Juco and a second-year guy. But yeah, same, so I same, consider it same in category. My, in my mind, he's a, he's a freshman. But, yes, um, for all intents and purposes. Um, so those are the things I'm looking forward to is kind of seeing that, like, those, those upended things kind of become a little bit more settled, whether it's a depth piece or whether it's a starting lineup for the offensive line. Uh, what about you, Chris? I just want to see a day or two where they're just firing on like full max bullets uh, offensively where they're just humming and it goes and they've had good days in camp, but I just want to have one of those days where it's like, man, that's what that offense is fully capable of. And they went and did it for every moment of seven on an 11 on, on this day or on the flip side, the defense having a day like that where the defense just brings it. And the defense has been very good. I would honestly say I think defense has been better than offense through camp to this point. As it should be 10 practices, and that is Um, what you want. But just like a flat out, like we came to wreck people, we did this, and like we just did that to a good offense. I just want to see, you know, you you always want to see a little back and forth, but I'd be fine with a lopsided day or two where you just see it from the group. And then you want to see the response from the other side of the ball the next day. I think that kind of speaks to who and what the teams are. I don't know who Wit One is, but uh, check is in the mail, buddy. Thank you. Um, <laughs> He's been awesome. <laughs> one one last talking point, and then we'll we'll uh, make room for some of Zach's war room scoop that he's released so far, and we'll continue to release some without giving too much away. Because want Knowles twenty four seven subscribers to get the first access because you guys pay for it. Um, but the last thing that I I think I'm interested in at least vetting and talking a little bit about me is that at the last day of Jacksonville. Uh, Mike Norvell mentioned this as, as a talking point and it, it we haven't written about it haven't talked about it a lot but it, but it has resonated with me and I've thought about it a good amount because they kind of talked about it again uh, on Sunday after the scrimmage and that's he wants to see his team continue to for lack of a better phrase like have togetherness to support each other to cheer for each other when something goes well for someone else and you're tired uh, to be able to get up and just be enthusiastic for someone else making a play. Uh, it's a reminder that this is a team that, while it brings back a lot of pieces, it also has about like 30 new pieces when you talk about uh, scholarship, uh, incoming freshmen, as well as transfers. So uh, I think that's an interesting talking point. I don't see any like signs of like, oh, this team isn't connected or anything like that. I think Mike just knows, Chris, that, that this is – that's what this next like week is probably about as well is making sure like everyone's on the same page roles are being understood and this starts becoming a, a team. I don't know. Have you, have you taken those words like similarly to me or have they landed with you like they landed with me? Well, I think it's a hierarchy, but it's also a hierarchy where the people at the top have to support the new people that are around at the bottom. Kalen Deloach getting mentioned during the scrimmage as being excellent on the sideline, supportive, cheering. He's the first name out of, I believe, Mike Norvell's mouth when talking about that. It might have been Adam Fuller. It was one of them that spoke last evening. I thought stood out. That That's a veteran guy who's played a lot of ball. He's not in the scrimmage. He's allowed to check out, basically, and he is not. He is fully immersed and that's with a lot of young linebackers out there so I, I don't think that's an issue with this group I think you know Braden Fist, Jeremiah Byers, Fentrell Cypress are some of the top transfers in that group and I think about how they all talk about like feeling super comfortable being a part of this team that that happened for them months ago like when we asked them that question I asked Braden Fisk or somebody asked Braden Fisk last Monday about being part of the team and for him it seemed like old school like well I think he was there by March, so he's not worried about that in July. So I don't think it's an issue, but I think it's one of those things where, like, you just got to constantly build that because you're going to be in a dogfight the first game of the season, probably the fourth game of the season. There's going to be another time where it comes up and you have to deal with it. And how are you going to handle that? How are you going to support one another when they're tapping into the reserves of the second, third team guys? How are the first team guys going to help those guys in that moment? All of that matters. And I think this program has proven in Mike Norvell's time that they're very good at building culture. And I think that's going to continue. I feel very confident about what this group will be as a whole. And I think this group, 
this group, this is the most talented group we've had here under Mike Norvell without a question. Um, but I think the competition is extremely healthy. I think guys love competing with and against one another. Braden Fist talking about playing with Jared Verse, how it pushes them. Uh, you know, Jeremiah Byers is a guy who's going to have to earn whatever spot he's going to take, whether it's, you know, Robert Scott's spot or Bless Harris' spot or ending up at a guard spot, whatever it's going to be. But those guys are all working together. They all get along well together. I think that just speaks to what it is. Like everybody understands when they walk in that building, they have to earn everything that's before them. But if they don't earn it, if they're not first team, they still have a role and they still need to support one another. Running back room, we always talk about how healthy it is, but I feel like that permeates throughout the entire roster. Uh, Briley asked me to clarify my point. I'm not particularly concerned about it, man. It's just he mentioned it. Uh, coaches talked about it after the scrimmage. It's clearly a talking point for them. It's a talking point for a reason. It's because they want to hammer something home uh, and something that requires, to Chris's point, constant attention. This is something you're always building. And just when you have this many new pieces, um, it's a little more fragile, I guess, than, than if everyone's back and everyone gets it and you have less time to do it. They're doing it. They're building it. Uh, it's just something that requires a lot of attention will probably continue to be a, a piece of uh, focus for this team throughout the preseason. Let's talk a little recruiting, Zach. You ready for this? Finally. Been a minute. Um, you know, just FSU, top five class in it. I don't know where they're at at this exact moment. Uh, do you feel bad about having a little baby freak out in June or no, are you good? Oh, I'm all good, man. Um, it was needed. Uh, no. They have a top five I mean, class because of you. You 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 propelled them to get KJ course, Bolton. Of course, um, I stand by my words. No, <laughs> I mean FSU killed it. They've killed it on the recruiting show for the last month and change. Um, just landing, you know, a ton of guys at key positions, but it's not done, right? Um, and that's that's you know what I what I came to talk about. Um, you know, with over twenty guys committed in their their class now, they're going to need to hold on, right? They got they got a lot of um, really talented dudes in this Tribe 24 group. And one of those guys, a top 247 prospect, Lewayne McCoy, um, out of Miami Central High School. He's being prioritized. Um, he's been prioritized by Florida State probably more than any other school throughout his entire recruitment. He committed to FSU back in April on an unofficial visit, kind of out of the blue. But since that commitment, he has yet to step back on campus in Tallahassee. I will note he did meet with the staff in person because he was at the FAU slash FSU satellite camp in June, but that wasn't, you know, a, a visit. He didn't, he hasn't gone back to Tallahassee since his commitment in the spring, um, which is worrisome, obviously. And I think, you know, I'm on record. I reported this um, today, but I'm on record, you know, a couple of weeks ago saying I didn't expect him to end up in FSU's class. I think, he was trending more towards leaving the class and either going to Miami, UCF, or another school. Well, I've reversed course on my thinking, um, and I think Lewayne has become a lot more locked in um, with FSU in recent weeks. Uh, there are a couple things that I want to point out here. Um, one is that I'm told the communication between him and the FSU staff is as good as ever. Um, he's had a really good phone call conversations with Mike Norvell, Ron Dugans, and some of the other staff members uh, in Tallahassee. And then I'm told a FaceTime call took place between him and a few of FSU's top 2024 commits. And I've confirmed one of those, one of the uh, people on that call was five-star defensive back, um, FSU's top-rated commit, KJ Bolden. Um, mm -hmm. So we are seeing... KJ Bolden already paying dividends for FSU on the recruiting trail. He's helping to secure up commitments like a guy um, like Louis McCoy. And um, right now, if it were signing day, I think uh, Lewin or McCoy would stick with Florida State. Um, but it's not signing day, and there are a few months to go until December. So um, I don't think his recruitment shut down by any means. I think he's still going to field interest from other programs. But um, for right now, I think FSU sits in as good a position, um, maybe since his commitment to, to hold on uh, to his pledge. Um, just previewing a little bit for what I plan to get into the rest of the week. I'm not going to delve into too much detail on here because I want our Knowles 24-7 subscribers to get it first. But I made a trip over to 
South Florida powerhouse Shamana Madonna High School today. Um, and they're home to a ton of FSU targets, including maybe FSU's top remaining target, um, maybe their top target in the class, regardless of position. Five-star wide receiver Jeremiah Smith committed to Ohio State, spoke to him today. He, he had really good things to say about Florida State and Mike Norvell. Um, spoke to Zaquan Patterson. I know he's not a name that we bring up a lot, but I think he should be. Um, and we'll get into that later this week. And then another guy I talked to was Chris Ewald, or Ewald from the 2025 class. He's committed to Michigan, four-star defensive back. I think FSU is in a great position there. And I'll and you know I'll provide a ton more detail on those guys. Jo- Josiah Trader is another guy from from Shamanah Madonna that's committed to Miami. Um, I think FSU is still involved there. Um, we'll kind of see how that one rolls out through the season because he plans to take some official visits. So did definitely stay to, tuned. Did you talk to JoJo today? I did not. Um, I, t- I spoke to him a week ago. That's why. Like, I don't want to load up on uh, content when you know, you know, we're yeah. we're in a dead we're in a dead period. Not much has changed in a week. Um, and you know, I know it's recruiting and things can change, but you know, I I, I traded some some words with him in person, and and that's you know we're good. Um, I think. Uh, Jojo traded some words with him. Okay. Um, yeah. So if you want more recruiting info, um, I'm going to drop it throughout the week on No Sonic 7 Another guy I want to bring up real quick is Artavius Jones. I know um, all the insiders on Twitter had him uh, flipping to FSU last week. Uh, I think FSU is definitely trying to make a move with Artavius Jones, but um, you know, I don't think anything's imminent. Um, you know, I'll, I'll delve into that situation more as well in a war room this week, but. Overall, I'm really impressed with uh, FSU's recruiting efforts right now. Um, you know, July was one thing, and then you go in, in early August and go land KJ Bolden. I, I think you know we're we're at an all-time high of, of recruiting momentum under Mike Norvell, and and if they have the season they're expecting to, the sky's the limit. I mean, you were talking about a guy like Jeremiah Smith, like I mentioned earlier. That's probably in my opinion, the most talented prospect in the high school ranks, regardless of class right now. And I think FSU uh, is in a really good position there. So, yeah, that's pretty much my recruiting uh, speech. You know, one thing I've learned uh, in the last month or so, Zach, and I've, I've long suspected it, but now we see it happening. I'll get your thoughts on this. Mike Norvell is a bad, bad man when it comes to recruiting. Like, I think he's a... a one of the best recruiting head coaches in the country. Like when he sinks his teeth into a specific recruiting situation and has to go, uh, not to necessarily be the, the driver, but the exclamation point, he's got a pretty high hit rate. People like if a recruit is Mike Norvell's type um, and he kind of picks certain guys every cycle that he wants to you know, sink his teeth in, like those recruits are always going to love him. Like that is like his energy stands out. And I think, he kind of selectively picks certain guys every cycle to really hone in on a guy like Zaquan Patterson, for example, is, is a, a prospect that Mike Norvell has personally been recruiting for a while, like dating back to his freshman year. That's something that he mentioned to me today that stood out a ton. So, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think Norvell is, is one of the most personable head coaches to recruits in the entire country. Um, and I think uh, when he really you know, invests a lot of time, um, over multiple years into a recruit, and he's got to be one of the best in the country at it. So, Zach, do you think Patterson – I don't want to give him away too much, but I know Shamanon kids usually commit before their season. Do you accept, expect that from Patterson? And even if he does, does it matter? Yeah, he threw out – he told the the Auburn site, I think, um, that he was planning to commit uh, August 22nd. Um, he left it up to question when I talked to him today as to when that could be. Um, but yes, I know that the coaching staff at Shamnod wants their guys to be you know, committed and kind of have the recruiting process mostly out of the way. Um, obviously, you know, he's gone on record saying that even if he does commit in August, Saquon pers- uh, specifically, he still intends to take all of his official visits. He told me today he's going to take an OB to Michigan for the Ohio State game. I think it's at Michigan. Um, but yeah, I mean, they... Uh, all those guys are going to be committed most likely before the season. And I think that's the, that's the plan for Zaquan. Another guy who like the, the reason Zaquan Patterson is a good 
a good example of it, Zach, but like the KJ Bolden recruitment was just another one. Like that was just crystallizing. Like when Mike, and that was a total team effort, but like when Mike gets heavily involved, like that's a good sign for Florida state. So something that I'd take uh, as we get further, more and more data points and FSU is able to operate from a position of power. Like it's just a thing. Like when I see Mike really getting involved in the recruitment, my ears perk up a little bit as we follow trends. Um, I think that's it for recruiting right now. Zach's going to buy Oh, Jesus Christ. Dude, you scared me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for your headphone listeners. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, let's play Byers Sinone. Brought to you by the Turner Group. The Turner Group. Let's go. Colin and Amy Turner uh, are doing a remarkable job, just crushing it in the real estate market throughout Central Florida. Uh, it's a boutique agency with big time results because of how hard uh, they work as a like a company of like five or six people, I think at this point, like it's not a massive endeavor, but they work really hard. They're well-connected Colin's super creative and smart and, and sharp in how he's going to go about the home buying process or home selling process. He knows how to maximize value music to Chris's ears. Uh, so listen, I know uh, it's not an easy thing to jump into the housing market. It's a huge transaction, probably the biggest transaction most of us will make in our lives. Uh, but if you're on the fence of like, you don't even know who your realtor is going to be, you don't know what the process is going to be you're listening to the podcast consistently. Like, but I tell you that Colin's a good dude. And like, I enjoy just talking to him as a buddy, like start with him, give him a call, reach out to Colin Turner of the Turner group. Just Google it. You get all their information there. Uh, and that's a really good place to start for you. And you can see like, is, is this something that's going to help me out a little bit? And I would uh, venture guess that it will. So let's get into buyer Sinone. I don't know what better place to start with it than uh, this one from about 350, Chris. Byers Sonone, FSU announces his intention to leave the ACC before August 15th. It's currently 8.46 p.m. on August 14th, and FSU still in the ACC. Well, we're going to go with the question means by midnight tomorrow evening, by the end of Tuesday of the 15th, and I'm going to Sonone that. I don't expect it. I've said that over the weekend. I don't expect it. Um, you know, realignment's a wild thing, and things sometimes happen really quick, but all intentions that I was told basically, I think it was Thursday morning of last week when I had the conversation was that the expectation wasn't that anything comes by that date. Now I know some people are going to get a little uh, up in arms that FSU hasn't done anything by that date because it is to some degree viewed as a deadline when in reality it isn't a deadline. It's just simply a deadline for this moment in time. But I think FSU is working very aggressively and what they're trying to accomplish here. We've seen a lot of it in a public sense here, February with the BOT meeting, May with the spring meeting, so on and so forth. And uh, I don't think they're just going to rush into doing it till they're comfortable doing it. And there's a lot of pieces that have to line up financially with departure landing spot, which yes, I believe FSU does have a legitimate landing spot, possibly plural spots just to put that to sleep because I know people think that might be a reason they're hesitant to do this. I don't think that's why they're hesitant to do this. I think they're hesitant because it's a huge financial deal. Staying in the league is a financial punishment to some degree for another year, but it may also play out in a more financially smart sense by showing some patience. And I think that's what they're trying to do here. But what was said at that BOT meeting, what now about 10 days removed, 11 days removed from it, like that intent, the way the president talked about it, the way the BOT talked about it, the way the BOT chair talked about it, the way the AD has previously talked about it, that's not all just for fun and show. Like They have intentions of getting FSU in the best situation financially that they can, and that may be potentially departing the league. I still think ultimately FSU intends to depart the ACC. When? Don't know. But I do believe they intend to. Can't spell BOT without OTB, am I right? This is why we do morning shows, Brendan, because your ability to focus in the evening is just so scattershot. What? So known, um, I think Chris covers it extensively, <laughs> but uh, we don't got a lot of time left before the deadline, and um, I don't see there being a, a, a last-minute decision made. I, I don't think, like, even when it was kind of hitting its fever pitch with the, the, the BOT, BOT meeting. Yeah, and that was, like, the most, like, oh, like, they're, they're making – Publicly, they're making a mess, and and you're making a mess because you want people to clean stuff up, right? Um, if you're doing it intentionally, I guess I never thought like I'm Sononia. I never truly thought like this was going to be a thing that was going to happen imminently. Um, 
I'm sure it was talked about. I'm sure that like a lot of people would love for that to be the case. Um, but I don't think any of us really ever said like that was what it was going to happen. We're just talking about this escalating. Uh, so like with that in mind, Chris, like yeah, FSU's uh, one thing I'm seeing consistently from the FSU fan base is like we're going to look stupid for the next year. Yeah, people are uncomfortable with FSU being vocal. They don't like them essentially being painted as a bad guy. FSU doesn't care about that. FSU's in this for FSU. Um, the one thing I would say to counter that point is with regards to the Stanford Cal SMU situation that went on mostly last week, I don't know if that vote goes the direction it went if FSU hadn't been vocal leading up to that moment. Hmm. And that's all hypothetical. I don't have a way of proving that to be true. I just think that there were schools that were more comfortable stepping out and being the bad guys because they knew FSU was already comfortable being the bad guy. FSU's been comfortable being the bad guy since February. In a, in a lot of ways, I mean, for this current one, yes, and, and uh, really a lot of the time, FSU kind of wears the black hat. Like this is that's just typically like FSU cares. FSU is looking out for FSU for the first time in a really long time from an ACC perspective. FSU is wholeheartedly looking out for FSU, and I know that makes people uncomfortable, and I know it causes people to go on their podcasts and yell rant about FSU and for mean things to be written and said. It is what it is. In the end, if FSU puts themselves in a better financial situation, that's what matters. That's all they care about. That's that's what the Board of Trustees is trying to tell you. That's what the AD is trying to tell you. That's why the president, who is not an athletic-focused president, now he cares about athletics, but he's not one of these guys who has his hand in that cookie jar. He cares about research money in the university far more than he's ever going to care about athletics, even though it is important to him. I'm not trying to say Richard McAuliffe doesn't care about athletics. But like he's not going to make that very public statement if he doesn't actually mean like he's not just doing it for dog and pony shit. Um, FSU was comfortable putting its neck out there publicly and playing the villain, as Chris said. Uh, but then if you want it and they, and they caught flack for it at the time you had UNC's athletic director kind of taking shots at FSU. But then they voted against with, Cal yeah. and Stanford and SMU. So like, cool. When it came time, uh, the FSU, Clemson, and UNC are far more aligned behind the scenes than anything that I think is being indicated uh, for facing. I know it's going to be uncomfortable to very likely be in purgatory. Uh, I got Dan Kelly here on the live uh, feed asking for a buyer to know. FSU announces they are leaving the ACC by August 15th, 2024. Bye. Bye. I I think there's a hell of a lot of people in that room who want that to happen. Yes. Not, and that's not definitive. We're not all we're not reporting that. We are saying that that. Brennan said it happened. It's happening. Seventy-three percent chance. That's higher than I had at KJ Bolden going to Florida State, and that happened. So there we go, guys. So you're saying it's going to happen? It's it's after six p.m. I can't. When August fifteenth comes and goes tomorrow, it's not going to change the direction of how FSC is going about what they're doing. I guess it's the best way I can sum it up for folks. I think that's fair. Um, let's go by Orson. This is it's just McLovin. We can still land a top 10 class with less than 10 wins in 2023. Uh, bye, depends how it looks, but I think if you win nine games and you're competitive consistently, yeah, you have a pretty good nucleus. I'd buy what about I'll you? I'll buy because I think the current class is pretty solidly put together. Now, that class trending up further, pulling off, you know, a big one like a Jeremiah Smith, for example, probably depends upon winning at a high rate. So I don't know that they trend up necessarily, but stay in the top 10. Yeah, I'll buy. I buy. I buy. Okay. No explanation. All right. TB3 Golf 714. Buyers to known the boards have caused liver damage this offseason. Uh, that's a known. It yeah, it's a Sinone for me. I drank more when I wasn't on the boards while I was on vacation than I have when I've been on the board. So it has been a weird month. I think it's just been really hot out and people are cranky, but I think we've seen worse. Uh let's see. Oh, this is an easy one, I think. Uh Noel MD 2020 Buyer Sinone sponsored by the Turner Group. The line will be the, the, excuse me, the line play. So I think that means both sides of the ball will be the deepest and most consistent that FSU has seen since the early 2010s. If we're including 2013 and 14 in that, then yes, it's a buy. 
I think it's the best FSU will be on the, t- the two lines since 2014. I think the best offensive line for sure. Um, they had some good defensive lines even around that time as things were dipping. But I think you have legitimate 10 deep on the offensive line. I don't think you had that early 2010s. Zach, were you listening? Yeah, I just – the only thing for me is, like, I, I don't know a ton about the depth of that time. I knew, like, the, the top guys. But uh, I'll buy it. I mean, I have a lot of faith in, in what FSU is doing in the trenches, you know, today um, with this team. And I think it could stack up with, with any of the great teams over the past decade and change. Byers known from Bug Zapper, at least 1.5 poop-related podcast in the season. Listen – Sinone, I'm taking Neander. I'm going to be the adult in the room. They might get one by me, but they're not getting two by me. I'll get two by you. Poop-related podcast. Ayo. Um, Falk in the road was in the offseason, guys. I mean, come on. What are we doing here? Never again. Do you know that we had, Zach, do you know that we had people cancel subscriptions to the website because of that? (laughs) Because of the podcast, which I guess brings people in. They canceled subscriptions to the website. You You can't say that's why. I mean, there was 13 cancels that day versus like six that would be the highest most of the rest. Of the Maybe night. people were really upset that we had everything, you know, to a T on that on that recruitment. Yeah, that we that we broke it. That we were the only outlet that covers Florida State that had sent multiple people there. That Zach had the news ahead of time. We had pre-writes done. Um, yeah, I'm sorry that we had auxiliary podcasts to have fun with it. It was the worst thing I've ever done in my entire life. <laughs> Riley Byersonone. <laughs> Remember the time we had a guy cancel his subscription because I kept calling Jordan, Jordan Travis J-Trav? Go to jtravforheisman.com now and see what's happening, buddy. <laughs> Byers Snow, we win in Orlando by more than 10. Also known, I think LSU is a really good football team. I think FSU can win that game wholeheartedly, but I think that's a game played within one possession. Zach, we were talking about this a little earlier. I don't know if it's just homerism setting in and just watch a lot of Florida State practices, but I think we're feeling good. Yeah, man. Um, I'm going to buy. I think uh, we were talking about it, like just, you know, some of LSU's concerns in their secondary. Um, I've taken a more active role. I know, you know, rival fan bases don't really like it, like um, the Gators, for instance. But I've taken a role kind of scouring other message boards on our network on, you know, injury updates, practice intel. um, And LSU has reported (laughs) I was 13 um in 2013 <laughs> by the way uh lsu had reported that um they had some injuries in their secondary um and and you know what we were talking about just kind of some of the guys they brought in and how fsu's actually faced a guy like deuce chestnut who is uh lsu so supposed to be one of lsu's like starting corners this year against formerly of syracuse uh, yeah formerly of syracuse and you know we saw what johnny wilson did to that team and and him specifically so to me like i think that could be one of the biggest difference makers in that game and that's why i'm gonna buy i'm gonna buy too i think there's a lot more unknowns with lsu than there are with florida state I, I a month ago i didn't think i would get there i was probably leaning towards lsu winning that game but i just i don't know i feel 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 really good about where florida state's at and there's some weird things kind of coming out of the lsu camp right now as we're recording this on august 14th uh rumors of a of a denver kirkland was it denver kirkland or was that the offensive lineman Denver Harris. Denver Harris. Denver Kirkland's the old offensive lineman from South Florida. Uh, Denver Harris, uh, the cornerback, Texas A&M transfer, um, potentially being suspended. Uh, was it our LSU site that says they're digging into it right now, Zach? Yeah, they said that he's been on a short leash with Brian Kelly because um, they, I mean, he's had a lot of disciplinary stuff at Texas A&M, transferred to LSU, and apparently he already has a short leash with that coaching staff and it seems like there's some truth to the rumors that that he could be suspended or faces some kind of disciplinary uh action at, at lsu but i don't know for sure that's just based on what our what our lsu insiders have been posting on their site uh, and then there's rumors of mason smith being a little dinged up as well defensive tackle over the weekend yeah. yeah but he he was up at their practice today if you if you're on the no 24 7 message board i'm making sure to keep you guys updated on that what the Florida fans are mad at you for that. Yeah, they they start threads on their board, mad that I'm reporting like on you know their 
practice stuff and you know their depth chart and all that kind of stuff that that their website's reporting i'm just yeah florida state coaches don't definitely have ga scouring swamp 24 7 themselves i will say my intention is once sunday comes and goes with the second scrimmage i'm going to dive into lsu get up with our lsu people i i don't love doing opponent previews in the middle of the summer this day and age because so many new faces end up on college campuses and rosters I feel like we have to have the sample size of the preseason. I know not everyone has the luxury that we do covering the program we cover in the sense of seeing as much as we do, but I'm sure the LSU guys would tell you they have a lot better idea about their football team today than they did two weeks ago. Um, by Orsonone from Broward Knoll 15, sponsored by the Turner Group. The Turner Group. The board has never been this bad asking availability related questions during camp. I don't think it's that bad. Um, Same, you know what, different year. Yeah, I think it's more that they know what they're doing this year, and then so it's more of this like. So no one's just life. happy that he's going to share that link 387 times. In Chris, I appreciate you leaving it pinned for me. Oh, that's been nice. Of you, you know, it pains me. I know, I know it's not. But easy I do. Legitimately that's that's me. the biggest surprise. Of I am surprised before. every time when I go to find it as a reference point, and it's still pinned there. I gave Zach the commitment date pin for like 20 days. I'm giving you this one for like 25 days. You guys, I can't change. Can we get a rules one up there? No. (laughs) Kim Nike 2328. Byers, I like this one. Holmes is second in rushing yards uh, by by the season's end. I think I'm still going to Sinone. I think LT is probably second. um, And I'm not even the guy. Rushing yards? Yeah, in rushing yards and rushing yards. Um, but I think Holmes is going to get more PT than I thought he was going into camp. And even based on what the coaching staff was kind of putting out there a little bit about their expectations for what he would co- contribute. I think he's exceeded that through nine practices. What about you, Brendan? Um, as Zach's taking like three seconds. No, I'm, I'm well, I figured you see more practice because Zach. Yeah, Zach that, that, is, that is true. Yeah. I was just trying to be courteous and let Zach go. I don't want to be accused of interrupting anyone uh, or not blinking enough. Uh, I'm going to buy it. I am all in. I have gone a total 180 on Kaziah Holmes. Yeah. I'm all aboard the Kaziah Holmes train. I think he might be, oh boy. Yeah, hyperbolic. Let's go. I think he might be the most complete running back in the room. Not saying the best overall, uh, but like just the best balance of doing a lot of things well uh, that has an inherent value, especially if there's like injuries or anything like that. Like he can probably be a power back. He can be an every down back. He can keep it in my passing downs. Like I saw him blocking the other day and I was like, oh, that that's what you want from, from uh, your running back in a blocking situation. So yeah, uh, I'm going to buy it. I think he's going to work himself into a significant role uh, and if we're talking about just solely rushing yards, I think he'll get as many at bats or deserves to get as many at bats as Lawrence Tofili. I uh, put LT in the slot, move him around and catch the ball, maybe have more yards total. But uh, not to forget about Rodney Hill, but I really like what I've seen Keziah Holmes. All right, Zach, now that you've had like three minutes to think about it. I'm going to Sinone just because I think there's a lot of mouths to feed in that room. Um, and I know you said that you know, he, could, he could be leading in rushing yards and you know LT will probably have more. Lawrence Ophelia will probably have more um, total yards because of how much of, uh, he, he is a receiving threat for FSU. But I just – I think Rodney Hill is, would factor into the situation a good amount. And then, you know, I think Trey Benson's obviously going to get the, the bulk of the touches. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to Sinone because of those reasons. Dade Knoll, 23, Byers Sinone getting one of Smith or Trader gets Patterson into this class as well. Um, so we're talking about the Chaminade guys. Hmm. Let me let me ref, let me twist it around for you a little bit. Byers Sinone getting one, you get one of Smith, Trader, or Patterson in this class. I think I'd buy that. I think FSU ends up with one Chaminade guy. I'd buy the odds of that, yeah. But I, don't, I think they're all independent of one another. At the yeah, end. I I do too. That's why I wanted to refresh. I don't know if they necessarily yeah. are related. Yeah. I mean, I don't think these guys are really making decisions based off each other. But, uh, but yeah, I'd absolutely buy that. Okay. Oh, absolutely buy. Um, all right. Last one here. We'll end on this note. Harry, 523, Byers, Sinone. All this pressure on the NCAA for denying transfers ends up benefiting Daryl Jackson 
and he's eligible by the start of the season. I don't think we've talked about it on the podcast. Uh, there's politicians getting involved. Marco Rubio in the state of Florida. Um, I think the governor. North, Car- uh, North Carolina one. governor got involved in Tez's up there. I don't know if he got um, involved in Charlotte kid as well, but I know as he well, got the UNC kid. Sense. Uh, I'd heard some rumors about like more politicians getting involved that hasn't come to fruition here on Monday evening. So we'll see if that ends up happening. But um, yeah, I guess it depends the extent and how loud it is. I'm going to know in it. I just, I don't believe the NCAA is going to follow like a logical path. Um, Listen, if they had just told, if they just said, hey, Daryl Jackson, what you did in the spring indicated things that we're not comfortable with and doesn't quite meet our criteria, that's fine. But they've kind of put themselves in a corner where they've put out statements saying that our criteria has changed in both, you know, Tez, is it Walker, Chris? Yeah, I'm not 100% sure. Tez Walker and Daryl Jackson, I think it was Andrew Adelson who who got the statement from them, uh, basically saying, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but they didn't meet our new criteria that has these very finite like mental health and maybe one or two other things, but doesn't expand to like family illness uh, to get that two times waiver. It's just that like, to me, that's just the most messed up thing ever because of how they implemented it retroactively. And you I think you guys talked about on the last pod about that. But yeah. it just like, you can say whatever you want. Like, okay. Like if you're going to go off the new guidelines and they were instituted before the transfer portal, and that was something that both of those kids had to take into account. Fine. Okay, like I'm yeah. fine with that decision. Like, okay, you you instituted it beforehand. They knew about it, and that played a part in their decision because it absolutely would have played a part in their decision to enter the portal and leave their their previous institutions. Because if they had known that it was such a high chance, high, like higher likely chance to to not be, you know, permitted the waiver, who's going to turn up? Even it turn turn down um, playing at playing a year of football. Well, like in. It, one step further, Zach, and I agree with all that. Like, NCAA comes out and throws the net of mental health is something that you can bring into effect to have that two times transfer. My wife's in therapy, like, as a therapist. Uh, I have family members who have been in, like, mental health field. And, and so, like, I'm not dismissing, like, how nebulous of a term it is. Like, I understand how important it is. It is super nebulous, right? Uh, but if we're out talking about, like, mental health and, like, someone – being in a good state of mind and, and having like good tools, like in their, in their like support system to leave functional, healthy lives. If you think ripping away football from players who transfer their livelihood, like that's their career track and what they've decided to basically try to embark in professionally. And you've ripped that away from them. You're going to tell me that is good for their mental health. It's just, it's and I, and, taking a shot and, at NCAA yeah. is super easy to do. I get it. It just doesn't make any damn sense to me. And so to answer his yeah. question, Sinone, I don't think it matters. I don't trust the NCAA to do something logical or do something right. I, so Sinone, I don't think it matters who gets yeah. involved. Definitely yeah, Sinone for me. Yeah, I, you can go ahead, Chris. Sinone for me, I think they're going to be adamant about two times and pretty much shut everybody down. Yeah, I just, so they, they put I mean, something nebulous that's hard to define there. And that's... It's the exact opposite of what they're trying to intend to do. It's just bureaucratic bullshit, and that's it, what they it's like. It's like a massive reaction to the change of rules for one time has created this. It's the opposite yeah. reaction. It's like, can you come to the reasonable reaction? No, you got to go the complete extreme. Um, yeah, and on your point, Brendan, like about mental health, uh, Keith brought it up in the chat. Like, how is your mom being sick and being far away from that not an effect on your mental health? So, you know, if if these rules were even in, implemented beforehand and Gerald Jackson knew that he, you know, if he transferred to Florida state, he would likely not receive his waiver. Like that is a direct effect on his mental health. And I don't want to speak for Daryl, but like any reasonable person can infer that that would affect someone's mental health, not being able to be close to your mom or to not be able to play football your entire livelihood. It's all pretty like, surface level makes sense and basic stuff that you're saying, Zach. Um, and so, yeah, it's frustrating. Again, if, if the point had been publicly, you know, Daryl didn't meet the criteria because he did this, this, and this, that make more sense. But just saying that he didn't meet the criteria for like mental health, like, well, it's just that, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So anyways, um, that's all we got for buyers to know. Anything else before we get out of here, gents? No, just want to remind people of our newest sponsor. If you guys weren't here earlier in the podcast, I know our podcast listeners already know, but um, football coach, college dynasty on steam. A lot of fun. 
great video game. Go check it out. Um, new sponsor of On the Bench. And also shout out to our OG sponsors, Chattanooga Whiskey and the Turner Group. The Turner Group. <laughs> All right. We'll be back out at practice on Tuesday. Chris and I will be there with Dane. Is Brett going to be there? I think Brett's going to be there. I don't know. I need to talk to Brett. I don't know if he still has two feet. I already did. I think Brett, well, yeah, I think his foot got chopped off on a I cruise or something like that. Maybe These young guys, they're just not built for it like we are. No, Chris, we're, we're the OGs. We're the vets here. We know how to how to tough it out, right? Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.